You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 357. Hey, hey, hello everybody. We are super excited to do another one of these shows. It's been a couple of weeks. We were like weirdly sick and damaged and other things last week, so we're a little bit late <laughs> on getting the show to you, but we are super delighted to be able to do an odd number show, which means we have a guest. As always, we are the Family Gamers. My name is Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And we have a special guest this week. A newer writer to the familygamers.com, Stephanie Nye. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. All right. Stephanie does all sorts of amazing things on the internet, and we're going to talk about that second half of the show. But yeah, it is episode 357, which means I have a fact about the number. You know, I tried really hard to not do this fact, but there's a caliber of bullet for basically every number. And so those always come up in our, our Google searches. And I, I generally prefer not to do gun facts for a lot of reasons. First of all, I feel like it's kind of a cop out because there's like an angel number for every number and there's a bullet caliber thing for every number. But 357, I mean, that's a pretty well-known one. So it's it's hard. Like Google would not let me run a page of results without something about the 357 Magnum because it's such a well-known gun. Maybe one of the most famous ones ever made. I'm not trying to like glorify gun stuff or whatever, but I just felt like I had to acknowledge that. And so what I did was I I found some facts about the 357 Magnum that I thought were interesting. And that's going to be our facts for this show. So first of all, do you know how old this gun is? Do you know how long ago the 357 was dreamed up and invented? Anyone? No idea. I didn't know either for what it's worth. So it was, uh, it was invented during the Great Depression late 1920s, early 1930s, specifically for police officers to chase after bootleggers because they they had like armored car doors and early bulletproof vests and stuff. And so the specific purpose for this was um, to be stronger than the 38 special, basically. Ah, so, um, so you say during the Great Depression, but more importantly, it's during Prohibition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some other interesting things. When the first 357 pistols were made, it was a $60 gun, which was a big deal because it was $15 more than any other gun that Smith & Wesson made at the time. Wow. So it was a significant cost increase, but that's because they had to make it like more robust or whatever because they had more powerful bullets in it. And the last one is that they actually stopped making the 357 during World War II so that Smith & Wesson could help with the war effort. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. No, a lot of things stopped during World War II. So anyway, so those are my facts about the 357. If you were to try to get one of those $60 guns now, it would cost you between two and $3,000 because there's, it's just like such a well-known, like it's like a legendary gun, right? When uh, Dirty Harry came out, the Clint Eastwood movie, Dirty Harry, he used a 44 Magnum and um, Smith and Wesson literally sold out of everything, uh, including their 357s. So there's something about Clint Eastwood that it's even more popular than you know one of the most popular guns that was ever made. So anyway, right. those are my facts about 357. Again, I didn't really want to do a whole gun glorify thing, but I figured for like the really famous ones, I would make a, a minor, minor exception. They could still be interesting. Yeah, I guess it's interesting. Mm-hmm. As always, we also have a message from our sponsor. 
We're coming up quickly on the holidays, so it's time to ask that question again. How do you maintain your budget during the holiday season with gift giving, big family meals, decorations, increased travel, and other seasonal activities? The first step is to recognize that you need a budget. Focus first on your big spending areas like gift giving. Create a list of everyone you intend to buy a gift for and set a maximum that you're going to spend on that gift. You can use the same list to track ideas with links to the items that you're thinking about getting. And then when you buy the gift, you can keep track of what was bought, where you hid the gift, if you do that, and how much you spent. (laughs) Where you hid the gift is important. (laughs) After a few years, this will become a habit and it makes it so much easier to stay on budget. Holidays can also affect your grocery budget. So think about making at least part of your hosted meals potluck so other guests can help with the expense of the meal. Our best tip, though, is to pay attention to how much your spending increases during the holidays this year. Then, starting in January, begin setting money aside for next year based on what you experienced. If you want to talk through other ideas to take some of the stress out of holiday finances, set up a time to talk to First Move Financial by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. All right. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. All right, Anitra, it's that time where we talk about some games that we've been playing. And of course, again, since we've had an extra week, this is three weeks of games. We're not really going to go through them all, though. I don't think we're going to. I'm glad we have three weeks of games because there was a week in there of being sick where there was one game I played. <laughs> <laughs> but, but of course, ladies first and also guests first. So, Stephanie, we're going to start with you. What have you been playing in the Stephanie Nye household? All right. So first up for family gaming, we have been seeing a lot of ghost fight and treasure hunters hitting, Mm. hitting the table. Yes. Um, It's a favorite year round, but because seasonal gaming is something we really love in our household, that has gotten to the table a few times and we've been mixing it up with the advanced variant as well. Mm -hmm. So um, always a good time playing a little ghost fight and treasure hunters with the kiddo. Have you ever uh, managed to get the expansion? I have not. I hear it's pretty elusive now. Yeah, it was. It's I don't know. It's weird. Like Mattel has reprinted it a couple of times. And once or twice, I almost pulled the trigger on getting a copy. But uh, I just never bothered. (laughs) Because, you know, I I think we really like the game in our house. But for some reason, it just doesn't really seem to hit the table all that much. And I don't know why. I mean, we really like the game, but I think it does suffer from one thing, which is that the easy variation is too easy once your kids are over about six. But the next step up is really hard. Like Mm -hmm. there's not really a mid level of difficulty on it. And from everything I heard, the expansion just makes it harder. I mean, more interesting, but harder. So since the harder version is already (laughs) real hard, if you're actually playing with children, it's probably not worth it. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, I feel like if it's a game that hit the table a lot, it's then it might have been worth it. Worth giving it a shot to see what the different flavor is. But anyway, cool. Anitra, what about you? We have been playing a fair bit of Raw, which we reviewed two weeks ago now on thefamilygamers.com. Raw is really cool. I am almost sorry that I stayed away from it before the reprint. But then again, when I looked at the old edition of it, it just didn't look that interesting. It was a pretty typical (laughs) everything was beige game. (laughs) Um, And the new version from 25th Century is gorgeous. It's brightly colored and big pawns and it's lovely. But I really, really like that this is a bidding game 
that is in some ways more accessible to kids than I would have expected from a bidding game. And it's because you've actually got really, really limited choices in how you bid and when you bid. And that makes it easier to understand while not easier to play. Uh, yeah, I mean, on a given round, you have up to four choices of what your bid could possibly be. Right. right. And you can see what everybody else's options are for bidding as well. So you really can work through like, well, I really want this, but I'm not sure I want it enough to bid, you know, my highest number, which is what I need to guarantee it because this guy over here, you know, has this. So you can get into some meta strategy with that, but I like that it has some of that element because when I've tried playing bidding games with kids in the past, sometimes it's the, well, I'll always just bid one more than the person who went before me until I don't have enough money to bid anymore. That's okay as a strategy, but it doesn't really get you start thinking about how much do I want this thing and what is it going to leave behind for me? And Ra, I think, really does that well. Mm, I agree. Yeah, I think that Ian O'Toole um, just crushed it with the art in the game. Yeah. It looks so good. It yeah. looks so good. So good. I am going to just brutally cheat on this and talk about a kind of game that uh, we have played, <laughs> which is <laughs> games. They have been hitting the table a little bit more uh, in terms of kind of clearing some out of the house and, you know, knocking some stuff out. And then uh, last night I was browsing on Xbox Game Pass to kind of mix the physical and the digital. And there's a, an escape room game on there that uh, I did not realize was on Game Pass and I immediately downloaded it. So I'll start with uh, Holiday Hijinks, The Birthday Burglary. We talked about Holiday Hijinks on the show many, many times. We g- we gave away, courtesy of Grand Gamers Guild, the complete set of the Holiday Hijinks games. These are great. They're small. They're accessible. This is, I guess, one of the easiest ones. The Birthday Burglary was definitely one of the easiest ones. Yeah. There was one puzzle in there that it felt like we had a little bit of an advantage on that not everyone would have. But most things in this were pretty straightforward as far as escape room puzzles go. Yeah, because not to spoil only mildly, Anitra knows her maritime signal flag <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> recognizes. Sure. Recognizes. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, the next one is a game called The Sherlock Files. So this is a series from indie games and cards, indie boards indie and cards. Boards and cards yeah. They had like a, a sample that they gave me. I want to say it was at PAX East. So it was like almost six months ago now. And it's just this little, it's like 35 cards or something like that. And it's just kind of been sitting on top of the bookshelf waiting for us to, you know, get our act together and actually play it. So um, we pulled that down. We wanted to play something. And, you know, we were like, oh, do we do we get Genotype out finally? Because that's been on the list. And Anitra started looking at the rules and was like, there's no way we're playing Genotype at 9 o'clock at night. I'm like, this looks great, but the first <laughs> bit, it's going to be not a two-hour game, time, and right. I'm not ready for that. So we pulled down this little like sample mystery thing. What did you say? It was Detective that it reminded you of? Yeah, it, it very much does yeah. remind me of the Detective game. I agree, and I agree with that entirely. You have a hand of cards, mm-hmm. and you're playing them out, each person taking turns. Yeah, so I would say... A third of the way through, I pretty much had like the core parts of the mystery solved. But then we went through the whole game. And at the end, like when you, you know, you reveal what actually happened, right? There was this entire subsection of the solution that was entire, like completely hinged on like one or two cards out of like the 40 that were in there. And even that was like a stretch. I didn't, I did not like that because this is something where it was like, you needed to be in the head of the person who designed the mystery. But there was no chance, no chance that you would figure it out otherwise. Yeah, I mean, but overall, I think 
I enjoyed the experience. I found it less frustrating in that aspect than suspects because with suspects, you could always go back and be like, oh, well, obviously, now that we know what the answer is, those clues make a ton of sense, but we just completely missed it. In this game, it was like, no, you know what? The solution we came up with makes total sense, and it's just not an option here. <laughs> no, I mean, I was saying. totally... I Actually, so, I, I... Wow, this is interesting. I completely disagree with you. Okay. From my... And, and maybe it's just that one mystery and, like, the rest of the Sherlock Files stuff is fine, but, like... I don't see how anybody could go into that cold and come up with the answer like anybody, literally anybody. And again, I, mean, I don't I want to spoil but... this thing, but like there's not enough there. Like at least with at least with suspects, the stuff is there. You, it's just it's, it's just, just some of it is easy to and miss. That's yeah. fine, especially in a game like suspects where you don't get stuck. You get to continue to the end and then find out what happened. Right. Like if it was a game where you got stuck, like that would be a real problem. But. I don't see how, at le- again, at least in this demo case, I don't see how it's possible for anyone to go into this thing cold and come up with the correct answer. And that is more problematic to me than a difficult mystery is. To be fair, we felt exactly the same way about the suspect's demo case. So I mean, it- again, and that's why I keep saying demo case. And I yeah. agree with you about the demo with suspects. That was a really rough one. But So I don't know. I mean, I, I like the mechanics. I like the general structure of the Sherlock Files. I'm not saying don't play them, but that thing left a, a bad taste in my mouth. Oh, I would I would love to play more because I really like that mechanic of you're solving a mystery, but no one has all of the information. Yeah. So yeah, it's, no, it was cool. so that that playing cards out back and forth mm-hmm. and deciding like this doesn't seem relevant. We're just going to set it aside and nobody else gets to know what's on that card except for you. And then you're not allowed to mention it again until the end of the game. I mean, I do have mixed feelings because it's such a direct copy of Detective. Like it's this it's almost identical. Right. It's but. definitely a very similar mechanic, mm-hmm. but I think you're working through different kinds of mysteries with it. So I think I don't mind. There are plenty of other games that copy a mechanic here or there. And yeah. having two different sets of mystery games that use the same mechanic doesn't bother me. Stephanie, have you ever played any of the detective games or any of these Sherlock Files games? Or how do you feel about like escape room games like Unlock or whatever anyway? Um, I definitely have my favorites. I have not played the the two specific first ones that you mentioned. Um, I have found I enjoy the exit games the most of the ones that we have played. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Unlock Kids, I think, is incredible for younger children. But I overall love an escape room game. And we kind of save those, especially for winter because they feel Mm. like Mm -hmm. an event. So I have a few tucked away that we'll be playing um, this winter for more event family gaming nights. Uh Sure. Yeah. We have two of the, um, the like three in one on lockboxes that (laughs) they've been on my shelf for like a year (laughs) and a half. I don't know. We'll get to them eventually. Um, I do want to talk about this last one though. So this is a video game. It's called escape Academy. And I listened to some video game podcasts and I've heard people talk about this game a bunch. And I was scrolling through, Xbox Game Pass, looking for a particular thing, which is this game called Merge and Blade. It's not really relevant. But I saw that Escape Academy was on there. And instantly I said, I'm downloading this right now. I've heard so many good things about it. Mm -hmm. And then this morning, we were sitting there. We were up for the kids. And I looked over at Nature and I was like, you want to do something different this morning? You want to play a video game first thing, co-op? And she's like, yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) Being up before the kids was rare enough. Right, right. So we sat down and we played Escape Academy. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It opens up. And you walk into like you are an employee at, a, at an escape room store or whatever you would call like an escape room place. And they're like, all right, well, well, welcome to your first day on the job. Go solve the escape room. 
and it's just co-op and you're literally you're just walking around in 3D space solving an escape room like it's exactly like going to one physically and each and I are talking back and forth and like I found this thing and then she found that thing or whatever and it was awesome I mean it was it was almost perfect I would say there was a couple things where like for some reason like the button presses didn't work or something didn't register immediately and stuff but like they would the second time like you know very very minor stuff but I expected I don't know why but I expected it to be kind of janky it was perfect Everything was great. I, I mean, as for video games, it definitely had that point and click mystery kind of feel yes. where it highlights items that you can interact with, but a lot of them, the interactions are nothing. Like, yep. like, oh, this plant is really well watered. Like, okay, <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, but the plants in general might matter. That particular right. one didn't matter. So it's right? so it's you know everything that it's highlighting as an item you can interact with. It probably does mean something in some way, but a lot of the times it's not a, like, you actually need to interact with it. You just need to notice that this thing is there. Yep. yep. It was really good. There's some good tongue-in-cheek humor in some of the dialogue, and then even in some of the, like, answers to, like Anitra said, like, you tap on a lock, and it says, like, oh, this could be the key to the mystery. You know, it's like, oh, okay, oh, we were We on. were in a bathroom, and, like, you could select the soap dispenser, and it said, I wish I could wash my hands of this whole thing. Right. You yeah, know. Like that, right? <laughs> so, anyway, um, if somebody out there has Xbox Game Pass, I cannot more highly recommend Escape Academy. It's really good. I was very, very impressed. Yeah. And what we've seen so far has been very family friendly as well. Yep. 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 That's true. Yep. That sounds great. Yeah. So I totally cheated and took a whole bunch of time (laughs) and talked about three games in one, but they were all thematically related. See, so that works uh, for me. All right. So we're going to come back around to Stephanie. All right. So the next game that's been hitting the table a lot here, um, after our daughter goes to bed, my husband and I sometimes like to play something that is short, a little bit puzzly, but isn't going to burn our brains off after a uh, long workday. So our go-to game lately has been Savernaki Forest from Devere. And we picked this up from a seller in the math trade at Origins in June, and it has become a favorite of ours simply because of the reasons that I just mentioned. Um, the two, It works great at two. It would be even tighter at four with the types of decisions that you're making between the resources you're accumulating and which cards you want to join your paths. Uh, you're working to collect animal cards and path cards and try to collect the most food and earn the most points as possible on a four by four grid. So I'm so big into grid placement games. That's like one of my absolute favorite types of games to play. And Savernaki Forest has hit all of our favorite game mechanics in a short play time. And we absolutely love it. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks really cute. It's, in a, it's a little box game. For what it's worth, I've seen a couple things online about this now. And Savernak Forest is in England. So you really do say it that way. Savernak. It's Savernak. Not, okay. It's not, yeah, or Savernak. Because it is, in fact, an English name. It doesn't look like it should be, but it is. Thank you. I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. So I went with the one that I've heard the most, which was still incorrect. So, so uh, <laughs> I know, right? Oh, but dude. no, it definitely it definitely ends in in knack. So saver or saver knack. Which, you know more than me as usual. <laughs> uh, not harder. Just seen it a couple of times, and every time the pronunciation has been different. So I uh, I decided to look it up. <laughs> I should have done that before we sat down today. So that would have been good yeah, advanced planning. <laughs> uh, you're in good company since yeah. <laughs> every everything I've seen about it, even the one where I was, they corrected their pronunciation, like 
the pronunciation correction didn't come till the very end of it. They're like, I'm so sorry. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Anitra, what else have you been playing? We had um, our teenager's guy friend uh, over and we pulled out and played Turbo Kids with two teams of three people. This game is ridiculous. Turbo Kids is a team-based racing game set in the same world as Zombie Kids. And (laughs) the reason it's team-based is because you need at least two people on each team you can have two or three people. So this plays best at four or six. There's some sort of co-op version that you can do with just two. But each team of people has one person being the driver. That person is blindfolded. And the race courses are these dry erase boards. There's like 15 of them or like some ridiculous number. So you've got this person blindfolded with a dry erase marker in their hand If you've only got two people on the team, then the other person is allowed to both tell them what to do, you know, left, right, up, down, slower, faster, any words you want to use. And the driver person puts out their non-writing hand as a little like thumbs up. And that becomes the joystick for the other person to try to direct them around in their driving if you have three people on a team then one person gets to use the thumb joystick and the other person gets to use their words and you've got two teams doing this and the goal is just make it through the race course without crashing and make it to the end first it is ridiculous it is fun And I am already trying to plan out how I can get some good video of this for when we do our review, because it's just fun. Like, it's dumb. And it's fine that it's dumb. And they've even got things where they give you like special powers for each team. And it may be something, you know, really helpful to you. Like you don't have to go all the way back to a checkpoint. If you um, run into an obstacle, you can just, you know, your teammate can redirect you back onto your line. Or it could be something that's really offensive, like you get to set a bomb on your opponent's race course at the beginning of the game, after they're blindfolded, but before they start racing. So it's ridiculous, and I love it. (laughs) It is very silly. I agree um, completely. That was... uh, Turbo Kids. A difficult experience when being directed by a (laughs) nine-year-old. Let me put it to you like that. Yes. Yes, it was. (laughs) I will go super fast because I went super long before. We've been playing more Horrified Greek Monsters. We have now played against all of the monsters. We've written a review of this game. It is on thefamilygamers.com. It's really good. Uh, basically, if you like Horrified and you want it to be a little bit more complex, not necessarily harder, but a little bit more complex, highly recommend Horrified Greek Monsters. Great, great experience. You'll recognize it immediately. It's a horrified game. You can't miss it. Yep. If Horrified never interested you before because you're just not that into those kind of monsters... Horrified Greek monsters might be a good choice because mm-hmm. the monsters are very different. All right. What do you think? You guys want to go around for uh, one more set of games? I've got another one. Sure. All right. What do you got, Stephanie? All right. So every Sunday morning, my husband and I wake up really early. He makes a coffee run and we have date morning, usually learning a new game. Um, so our new learn this month that we've actually been playing the last two to three weeks is Final Girl, which is good for date gaming, not for family gaming. Um, <laughs> just we need to make that very clear. 
And it's also a solo game, but we have been enjoying playing it as a co-op together. So we just sit on the same side of the table, spread everything out, and make all of our decisions together. But it is based on, we we have the first box, um, which is Camp Happy Trails. So it's a nice little nod to Friday the 13th. And you choose your heroine, your final girl, and you are working to rescue victims from Camp Happy Trail, potential victims, we should say, and defeat the villain of this particular film, because they're all based on films, um, Hans the Butcher. So there's a lot of exploration and fighting and searching for supplies and trying to get potential victims off of the board. Our games have come down to the last roll each time, which has made some incredible tension. And we like to pop this on with uh, a little spooky music in the background. And it's just been kind of a fun Sunday morning activity for uh, the fall season together. Awesome. Cool. Love it. Well, I will talk about a game that we learned on one of our recent date breakfasts, uh, which is Sherlock 13. This is a straight up deduction game. It reminds me sort of of the deduction piece of Clue because you get a paper grid that you get to fill out as you figure out what cards are available and therefore what must be the face down card that nobody's allowed to look at. There are 13 cards in the game. That's where the 13 comes from. One of them is set aside at the beginning of the game as the culprit. It's a whodunit sort of thing. Then you're revealing cards, passing cards back and forth, that sort of thing, and trying to figure out for all these various symbols that appear on the on the different cards, like how many symbols are actually out, and can you eliminate symbols to figure out what symbols are missing. As a two-player game, it was okay. The two-player variant works fine. It did not feel super interesting to me. I'm hoping that at three and four players, it'll be more interesting because there are sort of more directions that you'll have to go in to try to find all this information. Kind of the core mechanic of the game is each of the cards represents a character and you're just trying to figure out, you know, who the criminal is. Every character has symbols on their card. So you know how many of each symbol is in the game. It's on this little chart. And so you'd look at what symbols you have And so you know that if you could figure out what your opponent has and combine those together, whatever is missing is going to tell you which character is face down and is the is the culprit. So on your turn, you can ask your opponents, you can ask someone, how many of the pipe symbol do you have in your hand? Right. And so you're trying to gain information because maybe the next time you'll ask about the eye symbol. Right. And so if they have pipes and they don't have eyes or depending on the numbers, you might be able to eliminate characters and say, okay, well, I know you don't have this or I know you do have this in your hand. And that's going to give you the information to eventually figure out who the one is. And it reminds me a little bit of Turing machine in the sense that it's kind of a race to how how few questions can you ask before you can figure out the answer. Right, yeah. which is the whole goal of Turing Machine is to get it in as few questions as possible. So yeah. I think I liked it a little bit more than Anitra did. This is another very small box game. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a little tiny deck of cards, right? So I like the portability of it, especially at a higher player count, because if you're, you know, four people going out to eat, you could order your food and then, you know, rip out a game of Sherlock 13 while you're waiting for your food to come because it doesn't take very long to play. Yeah, in a more than two player game, you have a different kind of question you can ask as well. You can either pick one person and say, how many of this symbol do you have? Or you can ask the entire table, who has a pipe symbol? And if you have at least one, you have to raise your hand. 
you rarely get to look at anybody else's cards. Um, however, in the two-player version, there's this weird sort of exchange mechanism where you start with multiple cards face down on the table and only one of them is the culprit that nobody's allowed to look at. Those other face down cards can get replaced with face up cards from someone's hand. And so it's a different way to exchange the information. And that part was fine. Like it made it work as a two player deduction game, but I didn't love it. So that's all looking forward to trying it at more than two players. Um, let's One see, more what, for you. What else? Uh, we've been playing more Mindspace. Uh, yeah, we just released the review for that mm -hmm. on Friday. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. It's weird and cool. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's game. No, I actually, I mean, it's a complicated roll and write while being a simple roll and write at the same time. It's got a lot of interwoven parts, I guess is the easiest way for me to yeah. say it. No, no, it's kind of neat. You know, we'll include the snap for that one in the break for this show so people can get a sense of what in the world it is that we're talking about. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Speaking of that, why don't we uh, why don't we move on to the next segment of the show where we welcome our new Family Gamers community members. And Stephanie, since you are one of us, one of us, we're going to make you help us. How's that sound? <laughs> I almost picked that Sounds gift great. for the... For the Facebook welcome post. One of us. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. You selected a adorable penguin bowing his head. Penguin? Yes. Is he a penguin? I don't I, know. I he think that's like a penguin. penguin. Yeah. Baby uh, penguins are gray. Yeah. Yeah, it's a penguin. Okay. So yeah. All right. I'll get us started on this one. Welcome to Craig. Welcome to Ryan. Welcome to Nicolette. Welcome to Stephanie. Welcome to Alejandro. And welcome to Austin. Welcome to Stacy. And Katie. And to Meg. Welcome to Mateo. I love that name, by the way. Great name. <laughs> welcome to Beth. And welcome to Teresa. Welcome to Jeff. We're going to keep going. And Christopher. <laughs> and to Sarah. Welcome. Welcome to Ashley. And Chris. And to Ingrid. And Francois. I'm going with Francois. The correct French pronunciation. All right. Let's hope that it's right. Welcome to Francois as well. Welcome to everybody. Thanks so much for joining the community. There's lots of really great stuff going on. We're talking about family games and recommendations and all that stuff. There's a lot of recommendations flying. It's November. It's getting close to that holiday season. Of course, there's also our Discord. You can head over to thefamilygamers.com forward slash Discord if you want to join that. And then there's some Facebook chats as well. The general chat and the for science chat where we talk about weird foods because that's that thing we do. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we take a break and we're going to hear about Mindspace as previously teased. And when we come back, Stephanie, we're going to talk about all, all the things you do, all the stuff, all the amazing all stuff. The stuff. And uh, we're looking forward to it. So we Sounds great. will be right back. All right. sometimes it feels like there's too many things that I want to do and not enough time to do them all. Wait, are you talking about life or board games? Yes, maybe both. That's the idea behind Mindspace, a game for one to five players by Nao Shumimura and published by Allplay. The box says it's for ages 11 and up, and it takes about 30 minutes to play. So let's talk about the art in this little tiny box. 
There are two kinds of cards. These pursuit cards that show simple shapes made up of four or five blocks and goal cards with really cool illustrations by Julian Grepp. There are also five vibrantly colored dry erase markers, plus black, and a bunch of these little player boards. They're oddly square brains and scoreboards. <laughs> oh, don't forget the dice. This is a roll and write game. The dice colors match the markers. So now we know Mindspace is a roll and write game. What are the mechanics and how do we play? Well, to start the game, every player gets a brain board and a scoreboard. Set out three gold cards, A, B, and C, for everyone to see. Then set out six pursuit cards in a line. One, two, three, four, five, six. That sixth card goes face down so that the simple two-block shape is showing. One player rolls the dice and then places them on the corresponding spots in the pursuit line. Any ones on the first card, sixes on the last card, etc. Every player can choose one shape and draw it on their board in a color matching a die that's assigned to that shape. You can mirror or rotate your chosen shape to fit on your board. Everyone can choose any of the five dice they want for this step. You're not limited by what other players choose. When everyone has drawn their shape, flip the number five card over onto the number six pile, shift all the cards down by one, and place a new card in the number one spot. Roll the dice and play another round. After the first round, you must place your chosen shape touching another shape on the board, and it can't touch a shape of the same color. After 12 rounds, the deck runs out, and it's time to score. You'll earn points for every section of the brain you've managed to fill in completely. But let's talk about the colors. Each one has a different significance, and not all of them actually score for you. Green is money. When you draw a green shape, you get to fill in a coin at the bottom of your score sheet. Coins can be spent to fill in extra squares, choose a different color for a shape, or even draw an extra shape. You also earn a coin every time you completely fill one of the five brain sections. Pink is romance. At the end of the game, you'll score points for every non-pink shape that matches a pink shape. Orange is friendship. Every time you draw an orange shape, cross off the next box in the friends section of your scoreboard to get more points. Purple is hobbies. Since hobbies are better when you share them with your friends, Purple earns points when it's adjacent to orange squares. Blue is self-improvement. You'll want at least one blue square in each of the five brain sections, otherwise you're going to lose some points. Yikes! At the end of the game, you'll also lose points for the section of your brain board that has the most empty spaces. We also mentioned that there are three goals in the game. Each one is related to colors, shapes, or sections, like Achiever. Fill a row or column completely. Or Soulmate. At least one pink square in each of the five sections. The first player to complete a goal gets a higher point value and flips the card. Anyone who completes the goal later gets the lower point value. Compare scores at the end of the game and see who made the best use of their mind space. You can also play mind space solo, trying to get the highest score you can while slowly flipping over the goals, whether you've achieved them or not. So that's how to play the game. What did we expect from this little box? Well, all plays been doing a really good job cramming a lot of game into a small box, and I was kind of interested to see what this box would hold. The front of the box is weird, and it has this like weird 70s feeling art on it. I, I don't know. That's what I got from it. So I was definitely curious about this one. I usually like roll and write games, and although this is a weird theme, <laughs> fitting shapes into your mind, I was excited to try it. And what surprised us about it? My first surprise was to realize that I had actually played this game before. 
It was originally a Japanese game with a very similar theme about fitting everything into your life, except it was themed as a tiny apartment and mats on the floor. Allplay did a really good job keeping most of this theme intact, but changing it just enough to make more sense for a Western audience. The dry erase markers work really, really well, although the erasers themselves are not great. It is a little awkward during the game to sometimes have to wait your turn for a marker, but it's one of the ways that the game creates a little bit of player interaction. Speaking of player interaction, <laughs> when I tried the solo mode, I did enjoy the puzzle, but I missed the way we would cheer for certain shapes to come up and match with the dice, or being able to look over and appreciate the elegance of someone else's strategy that might look very different from my own. I found the game a little weird to learn. <laughs> <laughs> it took a few plays, but I really did end up liking the dynamic of how the various colors work to reward you as the player, and then you could use those rewards for other things. There's a lot of strategy in this little tiny box, and I really, I really love it when a theme interacts with the mechanics. But that part, I thought they did an all right job, but I can see how this theme could be changed, just like you said, into something similar but different, like an apartment. That part, I wasn't crazy about. So what do you think? Do we recommend Mindspace? It's an interesting theme, and for anyone who enjoys polyomino puzzles, there's plenty to do in this game. Because of the theme, this game will mostly appeal to adults who are used to trying to fit everything into their lives, but kids definitely can play. We're going to give Mindspace three and a half squares out of five. And that's Mindspace in, in a, a Snap! snap. Hello. We are here with Stephanie Nye, and hello, hello. we're going to start off this second half by talking about all of the various stuff that Stephanie does, up to and including now writing for thefamilygivers.com. <laughs> <laughs> My scope is wide. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so who are you? <laughs> so who am I? Well, I guess we'll start with where I began, which was over at Cozy Little Brown House. And that was my original Instagram account. And focusing mostly on just kind of the small joys in life, cozy living, the small moments that make your day special, memorable, family time. And a lot of reading focus in the beginning. I'm very active in the reading community. And as board games slowly began to kind of take over our home and our lives and our free time, I decided that I needed another account to dedicate just to that hobby um, and kind of showcase what we were doing there. So then I started Brown House Board Games. So Cozy Little Brown House is still cozy fun. I do a lot of game information geared towards people that aren't necessarily in the hobby yet, or maybe mm -hmm. people that are just starting out, whereas Brown House Board Games is free for all. Here's all the stuff that we've got going on. Um, so that's where I am currently most active. Also running CozyLittleBrownHouse.com, which is my blog. And recently, well, not too recently, but towards the end of summer, I launched a weekly newsletter called Feel Good Friday, which just kind of embraces all the small joys in life. That's such an important part of our family culture is finding those special moments. So I've got a little bit of everything going on, except for you. I'm not a YouTuber. So I tried to be a YouTuber, but I I don't like editing video. So um, I'm going to stick with the writing because that's what I love to do most. I don't blame you. It's a lot of work to edit any kind of video. 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work to add on audio and video is even worse. So yeah. And each has got to control my face on video. So that's pretty terrible. I got to control my face too. And then, <laughs> our teenager makes fun of me now when I, you know, take two minutes of video and try to make it something for TikTok. And it takes me another half an hour just to <laughs> figure out like, how do I get this down to a minute? How do I do the formatting? Mm-hmm. And that's the like quick little one-off stuff, not the snap reviews that we do every week. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, we do it because we love it. Yes. Or something. Or something. <laughs> I saw that face. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <clears throat> so one of the things I love about Stephanie and what Stephanie does is that she makes these awesome like little like advertisement things on Instagram that are so fun that we I can never I just don't have the the hackles to do that stuff. But I but I love that stuff and and I really do appreciate Stephanie how you have such a focus on stepping back and actually relaxing. I need that voice in my life. You know, it is a conscious effort for sure, right? Because we all get so busy with our responsibilities and our work lives. And I think that's why our family has latched onto board gaming so much. I mean, one of the many reasons why we love board gaming so much, but just having that time at the table together without the screens, without the distractions, um, focusing on one another and just having some fun. It's just become such an important part of our almost daily life. Like Anitra at the beginning said she's had a hard time getting into games lately. We have also been struggling with that as well, but still carving out some time at least a couple of nights a week for some family gaming and our date nights, date mornings, I should say, on Sundays, just making that conscious effort to have that special time. I love it. Yeah. Yep. I really like reading your newsletter where you talk about things like, so, you know, I'm just here with a blanket and a cup of coffee. And I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that. I really, really like it. What we're going to do for the rest of the show is it is the month of October. So we are going to talk about some spooky games and then we're going to talk about some hidden gems. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite games to play during this particular holiday season not the capital h holiday season that we typically that's talk coming about, soon yeah that's coming soon but what, what what kinds of games do we play the spooky spooky games and then after that we each have a few of our favorite games that maybe don't have quite as much uh name recognition we'll say as some of the things that hit like the hotness on bgg and stuff like that so let's get started talking about some spooky games who would like to go first I guess I'll kick us off. All right. So in our intro, when we first mentioned what we've been playing lately, I did kind of go through a couple of our favorite. um, I mentioned a couple of our spooky games with Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters and Final Girl. But another one that we have enjoyed playing as a family, and this is going to be not as heavily thematic as a couple of the other ones I have mentioned, but A favorite to play with our seven-year-old has been Oh My Brain from 25th Mm. Century, which is a great little card game where you're trying to kind of evade the zombie animals as you're enjoying a cozy or what should be a cozy bonfire in the forest, playing out your cards and rolling the marshmallow die for some special powers in an attempt to shed all of your cards, get rid of all your cards and go out first to win. So this one became a favorite of our daughters uh, when we brought it home from Origins. And it's perfect with its cutesy animal zombie theming to it. Fun for Halloween time. Yeah, I agree. It really is a good fit for kids who 
want to get a little bit into the creepy zombie thing, but not to the point where it's scary because these animals just look ridiculous. Hilariously so. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the art's really fun. I'm going to go with my newest uh, Halloween season favorite, which is Ghost Love Candy 2. I love the idea that we're ghosts and we're just trying to, we're not actually trying to steal candy from trick-or-treaters. No, no, we're trying to scare them so they drop their candy and we can just take it. Two-second rule. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's another 25th century title, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, have you guys played the print-and-play spinoffs of Ghost Love Candy 2? The roll and write ones. No, I have not. Uh, They look cool. Yeah, those are a lot of fun too. And I think with there's kind of like three different levels of gameplay with those. So you could introduce them to really young gamers. And then they have the most advanced version would be fun even just for adults that would like to play on their own. But those um, our daughter requested we pull those out to play for Halloween as well. So those are really fun. I'm going to mention the next game on the list, and I kind of feel like it's a cop-out because it is, I think, our favorite two-player game of all time, regardless of season, (laughs) but we are in the Halloween season, so I can talk about Jekyll versus Hyde, the two-player trick-taking game that is incredible, and everybody should own a copy because it's small and plays quick, and it's, I don't know, it's awesome. We've picked up a lot of two-player trick-takers over the last couple of years, and a lot more two-player games in general. And this one is the top of both of those lists. Yeah, we keep coming back to it. It's so good. I love the tension that's in this game. And it's one of the few two-player games we've really enjoyed that's kind of asymmetric. Like, you don't just have the opposite goal of your opponent. You know, it's not like, well, I want to get the most of this. Well, no, I want to get the most of this. It's that balance thing where Hyde wants you know, to be on one extreme or the other. And Jekyll wants to keep things balanced. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I like the fact that sometimes I win and sometimes you win. I mean, that's also good. <laughs> that's A different kind of balance. In either direction. In yeah. either direction. Another little game that we have been playing, um, uh, particularly around Halloween time is zombie dice. Um, Cause I mentioned a lot of times on weeknights we're you know, we're kind of run down, burned out from our work days, our school days, and we're just looking for something quick and fun to play as a family. And zombie dice sometimes really hits that mark for us. And mm-hmm, what I mm-hmm. like about zombie dice is it's a great way to kind of sneakily work in a little bit of an education with probability with young children. So I like that this one, we're touching on some skills maybe we don't get in some of our other board gaming because game schooling is still a really important part of what we do with our daughter. And I love when we can sneak in some learning with our games, even if they're not educational games per se. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With Zombie Dice, the one thing I would say is I know that some families that play this with young children, they don't always like the die that showcases the explosion representing the killing of zombies. So an alternative method or narrative I've heard some people mention is scaring the zombies. So you're blowing something up to scare the zombies. So it's an easy tweak if you're a little bit uncomfortable with the killing of things in a board game. Zombie Dice is a classic. We actually asked our kids a little while ago if they would rather keep Zombie Dice or we have the retheming of Batman the Animated Series Dice Game, which I think is cooler. I like the theme of it's you're now Batman villains and Batman is chasing you (laughs) and trying to catch you. Whereas in Zombie Dice, you're zombies and you're trying to eat brains and 
getting scared off. But our kids said, no, we we like zombie dice better. Uh, so I think it's maybe that it's just a little tiny bit simpler and it, you really can just pick it up and start playing right away, even with people who've never played before. Brains Absolutely. are good. Blasts are bad. Footsteps mean you get to roll again later. That's it. You've now learned 90% of the game. And those those dice are very satisfying to roll, aren't they? They've got like a nice yeah. heft to them. Mm-hmm. So when yep. you roll out those dice, it just feels good <laughs> to roll them out. That is like the nerdiest board gamer thing to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's fine. I think it's totally fine. I guess next on the list is studies in sorcery. You want to talk about this one, Anitra? Yeah. So we reviewed this one, uh, I think it was last year been a little while this is probably for us the creepiest game that we have in our board game collection Um, because we're not big on really creepy games but in studies in sorcery you are studying the dark arts namely uh, necromancy and some of its offshoots and so you're going to a graveyard and digging up graves for your materials which include things like bones and worms and you know jewelry and all this kind of stuff it's a really interesting mechanic of how you dig up the graves and a little bit of press your luck in there deciding you know i've looked in this grave pile now do i want this pile or do i want to add more cards to it that are going face down and move on to another pile and see if the next pile is better but i won't have the option to go back so that's cool. And then you've got a bunch of resource management gamery stuff as well of putting together the right sort of ingredients to fulfill recipes, um, which are, I think they're supposed to indicate like projects you're doing in your degree program. <laughs> it's this weird theme of you're like a graduate student of the dark arts. <laughs> it's really neat. And like I said, it's creepy. It's it's another one of those that's creepy, but a little bit funny, but definitely on the creepier side uh, for us. We would never play something like Final Girl because just that's not where I go. I don't like horror and that's fine that other people do. So studies and sorcery hits just the right down the middle for me that it's <laughs> it's creepy, but it's just funny enough that I can laugh at it even as I'm going like, ooh, that's kind of gross. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's more of a creepy slash gross in a like high concept way. Yeah, not and not in an art way or in anything like that whatsoever. You could totally play this game with kids, and like a lot of those longer Latin based words are just going to kind of go over their heads. It's just like, oh, haha, funny digging up bones or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, I remember so, some of the projects are like worm golem, um, yeah, 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 and like unstoppable bone ball or something bone like that. Sphere. So the bone unstoppable sphere. bone sphere, unstoppable bone sphere, <laughs> uh, which re- literally just requires like 10 bones and one other material. Yeah. Like this, this game is creepy. If you think hotel Transylvania is creepy. Yeah. I mean, this is all like yeah. black and white line drawing illustrations. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. nothing crazy, mm-hmm. but all right. So that's some quick hits on some spooky games that, uh, that you can play this holiday season, this Halloween holiday season. Um, But let's talk about some hidden gems. This is a a topic that I think is near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, There are so many games that come out. You know, when we talk to non-gamers and they're like, I mean, oh, like Monopoly, you know, that whole thing. But sometimes when you say, well, actually, there's about 2000 games a year that are published that are all different. And it's like, what? Crazy. Nobody can see them all. Right. It's not possible. And a lot of games fly under the radar, but a lot of games are really good that fly under the radar. So I want to talk about some of those games. 
Sure. Uh, I thought about mentioning M, which is our favorite children's game with the worst possible name, uh, (laughs) but it is actually not available in North America anymore. It's so under the radar that you can only get it in Europe. So I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) Instead, I will talk about Ancestry, which I will keep beating the drum for Ancestry because it is a great, great game. You're building a family tree. It's a drafting game that works equally well at two players, three players, four players, five players, all the way up to six players. And I haven't seen a lot of drafting games that really feel that way to me. So I really like that aspect of it. And it's really satisfying to lay out these tiles and make your family tree and also kind of laugh at the like, oh, this guy is married to that girl. And that looks really crazy. This character is married to another version of itself. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Long lost uh, twins, maybe, but they're also married. I don't know. Um, But. The, the, so the tiles may or may not have like vines that go up or down kind of on the corners, right? So so instead of stacking tiles directly above each other, they would be kind of offset. They're offset, Because right? yeah. it's a tree. But also they might have hearts, like half of a heart on the side. And so you, you could put two heart halves together to represent a marriage. And then you could put tiles above or below to represent ascendancy or descendancy across a family tree. And at the end of every round, you end up comparing your family tree to the people on your left and your right, which is part of why this works so well at so many different player counts. Because you don't really care in a larger game what other people further away from you are doing. You just care about your immediate neighbors. Mm. Um, And in a two-player game, it's just that the effect is doubled. You care about your opponent twice as much as you would about your neighbors in a larger game. So this is a game that was actually designed by Eric Lang. Yes, that Eric Lang. What was the story behind this? He wanted to make a game for his wife. So he asked his wife for a topic or a theme. And she wanted a, a game about family about trees. Family trees. So that's what he, yeah. that's what he made. It's, uh, it's published by Calliope Games. What do you got, Stephanie? All right. My first game is one that my husband and I played together first so we could get a little bit of a feel for it and decide if we wanted to introduce it to our daughter. And when the two of us played it together, we thought it was okay. But then when we played it with our daughter, we realized we quite liked it as a family game. And that is Gemrush. And have you guys heard of Gemrush or played Gemrush? No. No. So Gem Rush is a game of exploration where you are playing as little dwarves exploring a cave. You start with a main cave tile and you're working your way out, kind of flipping cards to expand the cave. But in order to do this, you are collecting gem cards as determined by the entrances and exits of each cave card. So what I like about that, especially with playing with a younger child, is it gets them planning ahead. So they know in order to go into the next section of a cave and and explore with a new card I'm going to draw from the deck, I need to have this red gem and this blue gem and this green gem. So each turn, they need to kind of think about, do I need to draw some new cards to get what I need? Do I just want to take a special action on this turn? And then, of course, our daughter really loves the element of flipping over a new cave card, which reveals some sort of new power that you'll get to do if you end up on that cave tile. So there's kind of that element of surprise, which I think is really fun with younger gamers. This one's hit pretty well for us. We've we've been really happy with our games of Gemrush. And I would highly recommend it for for families to check out. 
Cool. Uh, I am going to go off script. <laughs> we have a list of games here that we we're going to talk about. And in the background of Anitra's picture, I realized that there's a game that is really, really good and nobody talks about it. And that game is Framework. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a game from Pegasus Spiele. It is this tile drafting game. As you pull the tiles out, the tiles might have goals on them. Or they're going to have these colored like sections on them. And as you place the tiles, as soon as you complete a goal that's in front of you, you when you place the tiles, you can call that goal complete. It becomes this like multi-layered puzzle all at the same time. like Because you're always trying to complete all of the goals that you have. But you could strategically like place one tile that would complete multiple goals because you might have a tile that has a couple of different colored uh, links. Links, links is the word that I was looking for on the various corners to potentially like mate things up. I don't know. The game is really fast. It's very easy to play. I know that uh, our reviewer Dave has a bunch of house rules for this game that he thinks makes it even better. But uh, it's just a really, really good game. It's like it's just a solid game. Like there's nothing super remarkable about it. And I think that's probably why it flew under the radar. But it's just really solid and really fast. And it just it's just an easy, easy play. Super simple to understand. You can teach it in like two turns. It's one of these games that you can learn as you're playing. It's great. Yeah, I remember when we first got this, I sat down uh, and I was like, OK, we're just we're going to play just a couple of quick uh, rounds of this to learn how to play it. And all of a sudden we were like 10 rounds in. I'm like, this game is great. Can we play all the way to the end? <laughs> yeah. Like, because I really had intended to do like 10 minutes tops. And then I didn't want to stop because it's one of those games where you do feel like you're you're always building towards, you know, more goals and you just want one more turn. Maybe, maybe more tiles that I really need will come out on the next turn and then I can fill this goal. And it's just a race to complete a certain number of goals first the only player interaction is in the draft. So it's not like your goals are dependent on other people's stuff. It's just what gets taken from the central area and what doesn't. Yeah. The game has a very like kind of running downhill feel to it where the game almost feels like it's accelerating as you go along because you're putting more tiles into this tableau and kind of there's more stuff going on, more opportunity to potentially complete goals. Sometimes you'll pull out a, a tile with a goal and, I already have that one. Awesome. Right. And stuff like mm, that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's just really, really good. That is framework from Pegasus Spiel. It's something we reviewed on the familygamers.com a while ago. All right. Next up for me is a game. This is probably the game I champion more than any other game that is out there. And one of our favorites for date mornings, and this is Pioneer Days. From Matthew Duncan. I've heard you talk about this. Yeah. Oh, I, I will talk about this game to anybody that is willing to listen. Pioneer, can, you, can you still get it, though? Because wasn't that TMG? It was TMG. Um, I do see copies come up for sale in some of the different groups. Um, you know, you can find it on the secondhand market, usually not too terribly difficult um, of a manner of doing so. Um, but Pioneer Days... One of my favorite mechanisms in board gaming is dice drafting. And Pioneer Days does this so well. This is like Oregon Trail, the board game. This is like what Oregon Trail, the mm-hmm. board game should be. Um, <laughs> so you are getting your crew together to go down the trail with you. You are dealing with robbers and thunderstorms and famine. Um, you're collecting resources to try to help people if they get sick. It just takes that theme and makes it into such a good 
game with some really great decisions. And like I said, that dice drafting for me in this one is what really makes it sing. My husband and I love to sit down and play Pioneer Days and its follow-up. I'm sneaking in a second one here with this one, um, Old West Impresario. This was supposed to be a trilogy, and I'll never know what the third game was going to be, I don't think. But (laughs) Pioneer Days and Old West Impresario, the follow-up, which is also a dice drafting game, tile placement, just stellar for that mechanism, if if that's something that that really speaks to you. Mm. How long did it take to play? I would say for us about 40 minutes at two-player. Mm-hmm. So it's a good little weeknight game if we're not feeling too tired, but this is one that we usually pull out on the weekend. Yeah, it's a little weightier than uh, our typical fare for our our breakfast dates that we go on. Yeah, we're looking for like 20 minutes on our breakfast dates. Yeah, kind of. Like the the boops and the Jekyll versus Hyde and the Royal Visits of the World. Those types of games definitely get the most play in our house, but Pioneer Days, when we can get that to the table and we have a little extra time, I'll never turn it down. Love it. Nice. All right. Let's do one more each. How's that sound? All right. What do you got, Anitra? So my next pick is going to be a game that has been one of our favorites from before we even started doing The Family Gamers. Uh, I think we mentioned this somewhere in our first like five episodes, probably. That game is Anomia and all of its various descendants and variations and whatever. I think we own five different copies of Anomia at this point, or I would also count Duple, which uses a similar mechanic. But Anomia is a great game, and I'm constantly finding people who have played tons and tons of games and have never heard of it. So it seems like one of those things we just need to keep beating the drum for, be like, this is an awesome game and you should try it. Anomia is... Not really a trivia game. It's a find the word first kind of game. It feels a little bit like trivia, but not exactly. Best at four, five, or six players, but you can play it at three. And the idea is that everyone just takes turns flipping out cards from a central pile, putting them in front of yourself. When the symbol in front of you matches the symbol in front of somebody else, then it is a race to come up with a word or phrase that fulfills the category basically on the other person's card. So not on your own card, but on the other person who you match. We have a ton of variations of this at this point. We have the Anomia like party, whatever, which has six different decks in it. We have Anomia kids, which doesn't require any reading and is super awesome because of that. We have Anomia pop culture, which we reviewed last year. And we played it in not quite the way it was intended with everybody Googling stuff on their phones frantically, (laughs) but it was still an awesome time. And we also have a print and play deck that is Anomia Tongue Twisters, which has quickly become my favorite version of this because while it does require reading, unlike the others, it doesn't require any kind of domain knowledge. It is just who can read off the other person's tongue twister three times faster. So for our age of kids, 9, 12, and 15, that is perfect because it's not about knowing the stuff. There's reading involved and mostly it's just making your mouth work fastest. (laughs) This is probably my favorite party game. You can buy the straight up regular Anomia for I think 15 bucks maybe. Uh, So it's cheap. It makes a great stocking stuffer and I feel like it's just constantly me saying like, yes, people, you should try this. Try this game. You're going to love this game. It does work well for the small bit of trivia that is the word Anomia. 
Uh, that too. Yeah. Anomia is the feeling that you have when you know the name of something or the word to describe something, but you can't come up with the name of something or the word to describe something. The idea of something being on the tip of your tongue. That feeling is anomia. And the game captures that feeling oh my really, oh my really goodness. well. So well. Well, my final game for today is technically a family game, but it is one that my husband and I have really loved playing together. And what I remember about our first play of this one is we got a few turns into it. And I, I told him, I said, this game's amazing. I love this. Why are more people not talking about this? And that is Miyabi from Haba. <gasps> Miyabi is such so a great good. game. See, ever, this game is so good. Don't, more people need to be talking about Miyabi. So in Miyabi, each player has a grid sheet in front of them, and they're drawing polyominoes from a central collection to try to build up their Japanese garden, focusing on the different features that they want to make sure they're including within it. So you have specific placement rules you need to follow. You get up to six turns per round to try to make the best moves possible. And you're scoring after each piece that you are putting onto your grid or into your garden. And then at the end of the game, you're scoring majorities for each of the specific features. And this, again, I'm telling you our favorite games are these puzzly but not too brain burny type games, you know, for weeknights. And Miyabi to us has just been fantastic. Now, although it's a Haba game, it's, you know, one of their more family line games. I think our daughter could play this one. I don't think she could play it amazingly well, nor do Mm -hmm. I think she would be super interested in this one because it is more of like a, this to me feels like a drink coffee and enjoy a board game sort of board game. It's, it's kind of like relaxing and you're making decisions. So it's not terribly exciting for even a a heavy board gamer at age eight, like our daughter. Um, So I would Mm -hmm. recommend this for older game players, uh, children, or adults. Cause I mean, my husband and I love this one together. Mm. Yeah, great game. This <laughs> Miyabi is another one of those games that we had a different writer than either Anitra or I review and kind of regretted it. <laughs> not not oh, because no. I regret that somebody else reviewed it, but our policy is if you reviewed the game, you get to keep the game. And I'm like, oh, but but it was such a good game and I want to play it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, Miyabi, great game. It's Michael Kiesling. Does that sound right? It is Michael know. Kiesling. Uh, yes. Yeah. And I believe didn't I'm trying to look right now. Didn't he also do Adventureland in the same series with Haba? Uh, I think so. Yes, yeah. is yes. I, Adventureland um, is a very different game than Miyabi. It's a very different game, but we also love Adventureland in this Haba line, and that is also Kiesling and Kramer. Huh. Interesting. So Interesting. Michael Kiesling. Yeah. My uh, last game, and I guess the last game for the show, is a game from industry legend Rob Davio. This is another game published by Calliope Games. This is the game Ship Shape. Have you ever played this one, Stephanie? I have not. Okay. Oh, so so in Ship Shape, you are not a pirate, but a privateer. Because, Very important distinction. Because piracy is illegal. Privateering is not. Uh, <laughs> these tiles, they're like foam core tiles. So they're like maybe an eighth of an inch thick. They've got like some thickness to it. And the thickness is actually important because you take these tiles and you stack them up and you have to look into the stack of tiles. It represents the cargo hold. And so like the core of, of all these tiles is like hollowed out. 
but there's like basically tabs sticking out for if you think of like a grid, a three by three grid, right? So as you look down, you're looking at all these tiles in the, in this central thing, and you you basically you have a, a hand of cards, and they all have values on them. And you're as you're looking down, everybody's going to play a card face down, and when everybody reveals their cards, you draft off the top of this stack in the order of of the card. So the winner gets the first tile off the top and the next person gets a second tile and the, the next person gets a third tile. And then you take these and then you stack them onto your personal board. And I think there must be, I don't know, five rounds or something like that. I think it's three. Of you doing this. I don't remember. But the goal is essentially to cover up your cargo hold because each of these tiles, like as they overlay, they're going to be covering up different parts of your three by three kind of grid as you look down through the top. So the fun thing about this game is that you're, as you're looking down through the central stack in order to figure out how you want to draft, like you might want the third one, not the first one and not the fifth one or whatever. So you're trying to remember what everybody else has played, look at the cards that are in your hand, figure out which one you want. So you've got people that it's almost like a magic eye kind of thing where you've got people that are like hovering around the table, trying to look from different angles to see like where the tabs all stick out because the three dimensional element is important. And that's why it's important that the tiles have a thickness to them. So anyway, so you draft all the stuff and then I think you refresh the stack in the middle and then you draft them again. And then I think there's a third one. And so once all that's done, then you go through and you look at all the icons. So there's, I, I don't remember them all. There's cannon icons, there's coin icons, there's rat icons, mm-hmm. and then there's barrels, contraband, maybe? Contraband. Yes. Contra- the contraband. And so all of them score slightly differently. So like if you have the most contraband, you get no points. But if you have the second most, you get the most points because the person with the most contraband got caught by the authorities, even though they weren't doing anything illegal because they were privateering. But I digress. <laughs> and it's just it's a really clever game. It's a really cool game to play at a gathering where a bunch of people are playing a bunch a bunch of different games because it's really interesting to watch people. It's the kind of game that when you watch them play it, you want to play it. Like some games are like it's just like a game with good table presence. And it's like, oh, it's fun to watch and it's cool. And OK, I can move on with my life. This one, like. The table presence is unique enough that when you watch it, you're like, I want to do that. I want to be doing that thing, not just watching that thing. So Ship Shape is a really, really cool game. This, I, I think I said it before. It's another Calliope, just like Ancestry was. But uh, it's part of their, they have this like line. It's like the great designers line or legendary designers line or something, which Ancestry was in. And also Ship Shape from Rob Davio. So that is my last pick. It's such Excellent. a good game. Yeah. Uh, really gotta check cool. that one out. Very underappreciated, very unknown. Whatever. That's good. All right. And that is it. Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yes, I was very glad to be here to talk with you guys today about uh some of my favorite games. It was very fun. Thank you. All right. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to check out your stuff, your cozy brown house stuff or your brown house board game stuff? Where can people find you? Sure. So on Instagram, you can find me at Cozy Little Brown House and my board game dedicated account, which is Brown House Board Games. I have my blog over at CozyLittleBrownHouse.com. And you can also sign up for my Feel Good Friday newsletter, which comes out every Friday morning around 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can sign up for that via the profile link in both of my Instagram accounts. All right. And of course, there's us. I need to where can people find us? 
Uh, well, you can find us on all kinds of social media on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter X and on threads and on TikTok and all those places at Family Gamers AA. You can also find us on YouTube, either at Family Gamers AA or just by searching for The Family Gamers. That's our channel. I mentioned it before. You can come join the conversation either in the Family Gamers community on Facebook by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or just searching for the Family Gamers community on Facebook, or you can join our Discord. This is not just our Discord. This is the Family Tabletop Community Discord, where we've got Board Gaming Mama is coming in. We've got One Board Family coming in. We've got uh, Little Big Thumbs. And then, of course, the Family Gamers. So if you are a Discord user, that is definitely a way that you can come in and kind of share some thoughts, chit-chat with us, talk about some fun things. We've already been having some fun conversations over there Mm -hmm. as well. And of course, there's a four science channel there. I of course, there's about a four our, science channel there. Yeah. Our uh, dill popcorn experiment. Yeah, that was the most recent conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of us have Family Gamer email addresses. You can find me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. You can find me, Anitra, at thefamilygamers.com. And you can find Stephanie. At Stephanie at thefamilygamers.com. <laughs> We're very formulaic, but it works. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. You can find t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs, and more. It is very definitely hoodie season now. At least in the Northeast, At yeah. least in the Northeast. Pick up a hoodie. You'll enjoy it. Uh, by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you're hearing. Um, Tell your friends about the podcast. And it really does help if you can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or other podcast reviewing subscription sources. (laughs) All of them. All of them. All of them. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, That was a lot to talk about, but I'm really glad we did. That was a great conversation. And thanks for coming on, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, that is going to be it for us. Uh, Next show is going to be the uh, monthly report for October. We're really going to be into that holiday season. I don't know if we're going to be ready to talk about our holiday gift guide on that show. We're going to try. We're going to try. So until then, everybody. Play Play games games with your kids. kids.